Welcome back to the Jacob's Well Podcast. This week on the School of Unlearning, this is going to be a big wrap-up conversation about our series in Colossians. It's been a few weeks. We're excited to be with you guys, kind of talk through all these things, and also look a little bit into the future. 2023, we're coming for you. Here we go. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We know where you live. (laughs) It's Uh, a new year. It is. And there's a whole new... World to conquer. Happy 2023. <laughs> does it? Does that sound like a space age date to you? We're living in the space age. I think so. Where's like, my flying cars? Well, I, I think, yeah, so many things that we thought we'd have and other things we have that we never conceived of. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the world we live in, it's wondrous. Yeah. No, every year now, it's funny, ever since 2020, like every year we get past it, I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't even care. I'm just right. happy. I'm good. We're getting more and more space. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh... I think it's funny because if you'd asked me, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, 2020, it always would have sounded like an exciting year. Like, right. oh, what a cool milestone to hit. And then it was just awful. Horrible. <laughs> Dumpster fire that was 2020. But three years later, here we are. Yes, we survived. We did. We 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 thrived. Are you kidding me? Mm. Yeah, everyone's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're fine. Yeah, we're fine, fine. Right? right? Nobody's got any lingering no. trauma or issues. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. The things That's a that segue are coming for out way now. later. Yes, actually, for the next series <laughs> when we get to that part. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I just no. wanted to plant a little <clears throat> little seed. We have been. Um, I don't know if I want to say derelict in our duty as podcast people, but we have we've had like. <laughs> It's like the universe is against our podcast because. Yeah. Or maybe against us. Well, yeah. Period. The last month. Let's, let's take this personally. <laughs> so we had COVID and then we had multiple snowmageddons. Then we yeah. had Christmas and holiday. The week of Christmas, we just kind of looked at each other and said, no, because, because Christmas was that super cold week. Yeah. And then everything got canceled. It was one of the most so, stressful weeks I've had in a long time. And it was just such a bummer because we had some really cool things planned and tippy walk and stuff and that all got canceled and then we were even coming up to Christmas. Is this going to happen? And trying to find... People don't realize, you know, they see all those people worshiping on stage and that's just happening. They just show up and start singing, right? Easy. Yeah. Easy so they don't have to rehearse or plan or prep or... And the yeah. more people, the more complicated and the more... It's, it's everything. I think we moved the rehearsal three times. And, yes. And I want to give a, a quick shout out, any of you guys that are listening, just for appreciation. I mean, man, we have... I don't know if people realize there's only a few of us on staff that right. do worship. Like the vast majority of the people who yeah. lead us in worship are volunteers. Yeah. And they, man, they, they care so much. They're so invested. Every time we had to keep changing people's schedules over and over again, nobody complained, nobody fought us. Everybody it was, was a, like, let's just, let's just make this happen. And let, I mean, Christmas Eve was wonderful. It was glorious yeah. and it was, you know, so good. It was super cold. Um, so a lot of people were online, but it was just, it was just great. But, but having said all that, the um i had made multiple promises in sermons about things we would discuss <laughs> out of colossians um and now we're going to do that it was also an interesting thing because um i i got my first round of covid uh in december mm-hmm. so it was my turn so i don't know 10 days i was out mm-hmm. really good crazy. timing too. it was and so that <laughs> meant brian did the message his message, what was supposed to be week four, which was the online message, he did that week three, and then I did week three online message. And so, and the, the week... If that sounds confusing. Imagine being <clears throat> on staff. Yes, and trying to figure all that out. <laughs> and it's not a small thing to just 
juggle that all around when you think about media and all that. Anyway, it's just been kind of crazy in terms of managing all that. And then everybody and their brother got sick on staff. So it was just a crazy time. Um, this, so this is our sob story. I'm sure uh, everybody has been sick. It's just been crazy. Um, oh, pity us. Pity us, yeah. But <laughs> our life is harder. Our pain is in a special category, and therefore we shouldn't have to do stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Don't make us do stuff. You know, that kind of isn't that the funny thing that we we want to project our pain as a special category of pain i think that's just the human experience it is it's what we do yes it is um and in one respect all of our pain is completely unique and personal mm-hmm. now we're going to get in that again we're i'm jumping ahead to the next no series. yeah but we we do do that thing where we make the world uh, revolve around us right you know we become the, the central character in our own stories and right. we lose sight of the fact that every person on this planet Yes. Is as complex as we are. Yes. What a crazy thing to even think about. It is. Hmm. It is. It is. <laughs> but having said all that, I do want to um, kind of scroll back into our um, Colossians series. It was a bit of a bummer that the fourth, third message became the fourth message because that message about the 10 names, about those personal uh, comments that Paul made to 10 different individuals in some respects, was just a culmination of everything in Colossians. It was an interesting thing as I was studying Colossians this time because so often, you know, um, people don't tend, pay attention to the way letters start and end, and they really should. That was a big deal, particularly in, in the time Paul was writing. But you get the idea that the really important stuff in Colossians is that first part where he's going over the theology and all that kind of stuff. But I really think the primary reason Paul was writing was to set up the the influence of those 10 names. So, I mean, in those 10 names, you have uh, people, several people we know a lot about, and then several people we know just a little bit about. But it's all about, you know, hey, I'm sending this person. I'm going to give this person my influence. Receive them. Hey, here's John Mark. You might have heard about, <coughs> excuse me, John Mark, who abandoned Paul and Barnabas at one point. Now he's back, and and that's a, a story of reconciliation. You, you have the story of Luke, the doctor there. You have the story of Mark. You have the story of of um, a woman who's leading a church there. You have the story uh, in her church meets in her home anyway. And so you have this incredible litany. And one of the, the most intriguing um, names that Paul just mentions is this name, this guy by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus is um, um, famously then the character and the little New Testament letter called Philemon. And in this message, this letter, and understand the dynamic. So um, you have Colossae and you have uh, um, 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 the Church of Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia, that's right. And these, no, Laodicea. I'm sorry, Laodicea. So these are like, very close. So you looked at me for like a confirmation. <coughs> I was like, I'm not oh, sure. You're on your own here. <laughs> Pull out the atlas and let's take a look. Got <laughs> a dry throat thing going on here. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, you already said it. Like everybody was dealing with sickness. And yes. Like, I mean, I'm on two weeks of, you can hear the, the Fuzz, little frog fuzz, in my throat. Fuzzy brain. Yes. And mm. yes. So. Apologize for all the sniffles. People. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We'll take that out in editing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we laugh maniacally as, yes. hun- as Hunter's like doing a face palm right we now in his office. We love you, Hunter. Anyway. Hunter's so, the new editor, by the way. And people. Yes, we love Hunter. These are important notes. These are. Um, so so you have this dynamic where you have these two sister churches, and Paul explicitly says, just he says, hey, this letter 
make sure you send over to um, um, Laodicea and then read the letter I sent to Laodicea. We unfortunately don't have the letter from Laodicea. But what makes that really important is that there's a dynamic going on over in Laodicea. And it's this, that you have this guy by the name of Onesimus who is a slave. He's owned by a guy by the name of Philemon. Well, Onesimus ran away. And he ran for who knows what reason. And he ended up going to the place where he found the Apostle Paul. Because apparently the Apostle Paul had been part of his life before and had been part of Philemon's life before. There seems to be this close relationship where they had spent time together in some way in Laodicea, in some way through ministry. And Paul loves Philemon. Philemon loves Paul. Paul loves Onesimus. And and it is a real-time example of the gospel smashing in to the cultural injustice of the day, where you have a guy who is, and we've talked a lot about this in the messages, uh, owner of slaves, and he is um, he is a guy who who has all the rights of a slave owner. He can buy, sell, use, abuse, kill. They're slaves without any kind of, you know, you know, issues of, of him being concerned. Well, now the gospel has come and, um, not only has he become a follower of Jesus Christ, so has his household and specifically has Onesimus. And so, um, that changes everything. So then you put that back in the context of the letter Paul wrote to Colossians that he wanted them to make sure they read in Laodicea. And you have everything we've been saying in Colossians. You have, you know, the, the, the theological foundation, you know, the one God who defines good and beautiful, who created all people, who created all things, um, created, you know, um, uh, people in his image. And the ultimate example of that is Jesus. And so you have, you know, him, him teaching that, listen, in Christ, there's no male, female, um, Greek or Jew, slave or free. And so here's Philemon getting this. And we, we just can't appreciate how, crazy that would have sounded to a Roman Roman ethic, how just upside down that would have been. Just, just, I mean, there just would not have been concepts of that kind of egalitarian, that kind of social justice, that kind of value. I mean, the, 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 they would have gone back to the Greek philosophers. The Romans were basically, they ripped everything off of the Greeks. They mm-hmm. redeemed a bunch of it, but they basically ripped everything. Everything, off of including their pantheon. <laughs> That's exactly. So it, it, it's called Hellenism. Hellenism is a Greek culture that was permeated the world and permeated particularly the Roman culture at that point. Um, Romans were masters at that, of taking the best of a culture and then integrating it, whether it be engineering or politics or things like that. Anyway, long story short, although they didn't pick up on Athenian democracy at all, so that, that, that didn't stick. It didn't actually stick in Athens very well and very long. and It wasn't very robust for what we would consider healthy democracy mob rule i mean it's pretty much it's just yes um we're on our way back to it <laughs> so we'll, we'll see <laughs> anyway all right we'll uh, digress we're gonna, before this we're, goes. we're gonna go what were they talking <laughs> about oh so you have this this confrontation with culture of ideas um and um then of course you get paul writing to philemon about this situation saying you know uh philemon i'm sending onesimus back to you and he basically says um, what everybody knew. Philemon, you can do whatever you want. I have no earthly power to compel you 
Mm-hmm. I have no authority. I have no political power. I can't afford to buy them. I can't, I can't coerce you with any kind of external behavior modification. But instead, he appeals to him as a brother in Christ to not only see himself different, he totally leverages his relationship with Philemon. Um, he reminds of his, of his obligation in Christ, and he basically says, you know, you know, I'm sending him back to you, I'll read it in a minute, not as a slave, but as a brother. You know, and th- I always imagine Philemon hearing the teaching of Colossians, thinking, wow, that's pretty, and then getting this letter that was delivered by Onesimus. So I just have this picture of me, me, you know, <laughs> seeing him reading this letter with Onesimus in the room and, and just Philemon going, Doc on it, Paul. I mean, <laughs> how can you do this to me? What are you doing to me? Yeah. I mean, well, what a flip of his own emotions. You yes. Have to, you have to imagine how angry he would be. Yes. His, his slave took off. He, it's in, in their yes. ethic, he owns this person. Like, there were, essentially, his property was stolen or yes. disappeared. Yes. So he's, he's probably feels like he's full of, maybe he even thought of it as like a righteous anger. Absolutely he would have. You know, <laughs> and it would have been this deal of, of um, not only did he was he in the right in punishing him, selling him to salt mines, whatever they would have done, um, but he actually would, there would have been a consideration with friends and neighbors and people in the household as, You've got to make an example of this slave. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that the the Roman aristocracy was always concerned about was any kind of slave revolt, any kind of slave. And there were, there were multiples, the famous, most famous being the one related to Spartacus. Um, but they were terrified, and they should have been. The vast majority of people were slaves. I mean, when you create a society where the majority of people are under an oppression, and then you canonize it with law and with morality, which they did, then you're, you're very vulnerable. You have to keep constantly feeding that understanding of why this is justified. And then when you get a worldview, this is why people reacted so strongly to Paul. This is why, you know, because he, he came in with a very subversive idea that we would consider just, I mean, when it came to our writing our, our Declaration of Independence, it was self-evident by that time. We hold these truths to be self-evident, just obviously true, that all men are created equal, you know. And and so um, <clears throat> even though it was men, not women, not black, not white, I mean, it, it wasn't apparently as self-evident as... Oh, yeah. It actually is funny <laughs> that the line's there. Yeah, it you is. look at how much longer we held on to slavery after that line. Yes, another 80 years yep. in this country. And I mean, so, so and, and even then, you're 1,776 or so years from the coming, <coughs> excuse me, the birth of Christ. Yeah. And certainly 1,700 years or so from Paul writing Colossians. Right. So, so, so you have this incredible, you, you read the pagan attacks on Christianity. They're called the pagan attacks on Christianity. And we actually have a lot of these even, they go all the way to um, City of God and Augustine. Their, their attacks are, it, it's, it's, it's crazy the things they say. Well, Christianity is subverting our culture. It, they called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. They believed in one God. They said they were corrupting the youth. They were undermining family. You know, so so this understanding was that there was something so scary about this idea that it needed to be opposed. And and they said, this is, they would say, the people who make up at these churches are the worst kind. They're, they're horrible. They were criminals. They were people of low reputation. Um, they were slaves and the church is full of women. 
I mean, so th- this was the this was the the attack on Christianity that it was it was held in derision by the finest people. That's why Paul says, you know, not many of you were of high status or of noble birth or came from really good, you know, backgrounds. You know, he said, you know, we're we're pretty much, you know, the ancient world version of the trailer trash. You know, <laughs> you know, just it it it's that kind of idea. So so you have Paul writing Colossians. And it feels to me very much like he's everything he's saying in Colossians is to set the framework for people to respond well within relationship. And so these 10 names, and particularly the issue of Onesimus, it's just, a, boy, there's so much instructive about it. So a couple things just to put in context. And some of this is kind of an answer back to, you know, those people who say, you know, Christianity promotes slavery, Christianity. There's even people, I think there's just kind of this natural thought that people have that Christianity created slavery or Christianity brought slavery to America or all these kinds of things like this. <clears throat> and what you really actually have is a world, an entire world where slavery was just the assumed, the assumed understanding. So some kind of oppression of rich over poor people being controlled has been part of just about every culture in every land ever. I mean, you just don't find I mean, it wasn't like in Central Africa or in Asia or in North America, you know, people were not oppressing other people. This is this is the human story. <clears throat> and so um, the thing that's amazing about, about like Christianity in the West or, or slavery in the West, it's not surprising at all that it was there. The miracle is that it was done away with, mm-hmm. that it was outlawed. That And where does that come from? Um you know, and there's multiple at this point. I'm, I often reference Tom Hall and Jordan Peterson has uh, written about this and many other people who he's interviewed. Secular historians who have traced back this understanding of so much of how we view the dignity of humanity coming back to these concepts that are found in Colossians, in Christianity, in this understanding that all people are created in the image of God. And the ultimate example of how we're supposed to treat each other is this person of Jesus who used his power to serve and that changed everything. And so, so here's the apostle Paul. So one of the, one of the big critiques of the apostle Paul in terms of the issue of slavery is that he tells slaves to obey, obey their masters as to the Lord and do, do it. And then, um, so clearly, clearly he's pro, he's pro slavery, um, rather than understanding the reality. Sarcasm. Yes. Yes. He's, 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 um, rather than a person who's dealing with the reality of his time world who has no concept of it. Um, and, and, um, a person who had no power. I mean, he had no political power. He had no economic power. Um, and for him to stand up says a master's, um, free all your slaves, um, would have not made any sense. It would have been nonsense. It would have caused a social upheaval that would have been absolutely just a nightmare. It would have been, it would have been, and it would have been just a re- irrelevant noise. But he did something much more powerful. He came and he he set down the groundwork for the, the quality of people. And so rather than trying to impose an external law that people had no belief or heart for, he won their hearts. He, he argued, he planted the seeds of all our liberation, of all of our freedom, of everything we believe about equal justice, everything we believe about the liberation of oppressed people, everything we believe about rule of law, that everybody should have, you know, the idea that, you know, um, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. I mean, we think that's, well, that obviously, 
most of the world doesn't do that. I mean, you don't have a dirty, tough luck, you know, um, you know, so, so, you know, all of these ideas, not to mention, you know, um, innovations in the human story that come based on these, of uh, these, these things like charity. So we just think, well, there's always been charity. No, 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 no. Uh, Christianity pretty much invented charity, pretty much came up with this idea that the rich should help the poor. Those who don't should, should in some way that it's not okay that people are just, I mean, if, if we, we would just not get it in the ancient world. So the Greek world, um, there were dead bodies everywhere because when someone fell and dead, so that's another innovation, burial, dignity, burying the, dig, the dead with dignity, you know, um, hospitals, um, universities, the idea that knowledge is worth attaining and then in public education, um, if you, um, and this is a mixed bag, but if you study the history of Frederick the Great, um, the German Christian, and then Otto, who became uh, the one who was the first um, Norwegian king, Christian king, um, what they did for education, Alfred the Great, they did out of their Christian belief, partly to be able to read the Bible, partly just to learn, partly with the reintroduction of Aristotle, um, there was this belief that Christians should learn. So, so w- when we understand the... The ideas that were planted, you understand it. Now, you understand the power of changing the world by changing hearts, changing the world through changing ideas. Now, we would be, um, you know, amiss, and there would be people standing on their chairs rightfully say if if we didn't point out, well, then how do you explain the fact that, I mean, it took 1,700 years for, you know, the first law. It probably was a little less than that because Britain was was the first nation um, to outlaw slavery. Uh, the British Empire, too. So so think about that. So that was the, the British Empire. The sun never stood on the British Empire. So they had Australia. They had colonies and all the good, bad, and otherwise about that, mostly bad. Um, but this was an empire um, that voted against its own economic interest to not only free slaves in their realm, they actively used their navy to prosecute slave trading and slave holding in Africa. And I mean, it became a movement almost exclusively with very little exception, a Christian movement. I mean, Wilbur Wilberforce and that entire group, there were some enlightened intellectuals from France who were part of it, but the, the, the major Trump, the major argument was Christianity, but you also had um, Christians at that time and particularly in the South, you had Christians using Paul. Well, Paul endorses slavery, taking those verses out of context. So you've had people using the Bible to justify slavery, which is often pointed out by people who have an extra ground against Christianity without going full circle and saying, but at the same time, the central arguments for abolition, whether it be Uncle Tom's Cabin or Harriet Tubman or any of these, was fundamentally Christian. You know, that, that it, you know, am I not a, you mean the famous picture, um, um, am I not a brother? Am I not a man? Am I not a man? Am I not your brother? You know, this understanding of this. And so there was this war within Christianity to come back to the original, uh, as Tom Holland says, the original song of Christ, the original, um, um, melody of Christ. And in that, you, you see that, um, wonderfully in, in John Dickerson's book, bullies and saints, that there's this constant um, tendency of evil people with evil agendas 
who will take over Christianity and, and use it to do witch hunts, crusades. But then there's always these saints, these reformers who come in and say, yeah, but that's not what Jesus is all about. That's not what the thing is all about. And so there's this constant fighting battle. But the overall arc, the overall trajectory is that the ideals, the essence of Christianity has brought unbelievable good into this world. Unbelievable. And, and again, people like Tom Holland just laying out, well, we get everything from democracy to the nuclear family, to hospitals, to charities, to the idea of, of dignity of Christian funerals, the, the health of that, the idea of sanitation, all the way to modern understandings of um, what should be like Christian's perspective on the environment. I mean, because there will be people who will, who will supplant Christianity, be very strong Christians, who don't care about the environment at all. And that is a very unbiblical, un-Jesus perspective. Mm-hmm. And so we're constantly trying to say, let's go back to the original message, um, a piece of, of, boy, turning away from violence, of the dignity of all people. And so, so, so what are we supposed to do with this? One, um, it gives us an honest context for us to understand our own history and there's a lot to grieve about our history. There's a lot to celebrate our history. It's so much more complicated. Um, you can have within the same kind of person incredibly glorious things, incredibly terrible things. An example would be Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who brought so much um, good in terms of, you know, I cannot, I will not recant, and standing for the, the conviction and religious liberty and all those things also as the person who wrote those horrible, horrible treatises on the oppression of the Jews and the promotion of the, that was used by the Nazis to justify. So you had that within the same person. And so um, it's, it's what Solzhenitsyn said. Um, let me, there's a poor paraphrase of his quote, but it's pretty close. It says, where do you find good and evil? You find good and evil going through the, the heart, uh, the center of every human heart. That's where you find it. And so it allows us to have much more, um, I think, nuanced, intelligent um, conversations. It also gives us a trajectory going forward. So what should be our going forward? Well, let's get back to the original song of the, 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 the Lamb. Let's get back to the original way of Jesus. Um, one of the things I've done in the last couple of years delighted in was really paying a lot more attention to the first, the church for the first three centuries. Cause th- th- that church is just awesome. And the other is the, the Greek Orthodox church. It's the modern Greek Orthodox church, but the church of the East as opposed to the church of the West. There, there's so many beautiful things about that. You have a church that is not in power, but is using its influence to, again, you'll, you'll find the early church fathers condemning slavery. Um, there was a practice called um, exposure very common, accepted in um, Roman and Greek culture, that if you had a baby, and for whatever reason you don't want that baby, maybe it was um, a born with a, a handicap, maybe it was a, a girl and you wanted a boy, maybe you felt like you had enough child, children, you could p- take that child in a basket, and this happened all the time, you could leave it in a certain place, usually by a cliff outside the town, and just abandon it. Um, and then there's this glorious history, starting in about the, the first and second century, of groups of people starting and going taking those child and raising those children. Guess who those people were? They were Christians. And then you have the early church fathers condemning it. So like it's like the third, fourth century where it finally was con- uh, made outlawed by the Christian. Christian. 
emperors. And so you have just story after story after story like that. You have stories about um, um, early church fathers condemning slavery. There's early there's stories, particularly one story, I'm forgetting her name, of a Christian woman who became a slave who 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 refused to offer sexual favors to her owner because it was against Christianity, and she was put to death for that. Um, and but you have this collision of values and truth, and and that makes. And this is the thing about it is it was a time when the righteousness of the Christians just made the pagan world kind of squirm, just kind of go, oh, that ethic is better. That's more moral. That's higher. Um, one of the great examples, again, I'm just all over the map here, um, was a really interesting dynamic that happened in the church. So what ended up happening, the church finally became, um, at first, um, not illegal, and then endorsed under Constantine. So Constantine became the first Christian emperor, probably, maybe. Very complicated story. Mm-hmm. Um, but emperor after him reverted back to paganism. His name was um, Julian the Apostate. Um, so he became Roman emperor. He went back and said, no, um, um, the reason we're having so many troubles in Rome is we've turned away from our gods, and so we've got to return to our gods. He, he did a tour of the empire and he kept rolling into towns, and he said, what's going on with our temples? Our temples are falling apart. The priests are shabby. And basically, basically, no one comes anymore. They're all becoming Christians. And so he had this major plan to renovate um, the, the, the temples and to get paganism back on its feet. Um, and, um, and, and so he hired a bunch of apologists. He looked at the Christian, and he started attacking it. But one of the things he tried to get his pagan temples to do was to start charities. Actually, I found the quote. I found it online just as we were coming in. I wanted to share it today. Um, um, and, and what he basically saw was that the Christians are taking over because they're really good to people. They take care of the sick. They help the hungry. They, they protect the, the orphan. They protect children. And, and so he made this order. He said, he talked about um, attacks and uh, um, some income that was coming in. He said, I order that one-fifth of this be used for the poor who serve the priests and the remainder be distributed by us to strangers and beggars. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, the impious Galileans, notice that they're impious. So they're, 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 they don't honor gods. So they're, they're like atheists. Impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see our people lack aid from us. So he basically said, um, and there's several other quotes from him where he laments the situation that they do a better job taking care of our people than we do. They not only take care of their people. It says the Jews take care of their people and the Christians take care of their people. Not only that, they take care of our people better than we do. He says, that's got to stop. And so he tried to get this uh, insistent and it totally failed. It, it was corrupt. There was no heart because there's no, there's no ideology behind it. There's no heart behind it. I mean, Christians didn't do it as a strategy to win people. They did it because this was what Christians did. This is who they were. They just saw a need. They loved people. They stepped into it. This is what Christianity was. And so you see this beautiful picture of the early church first 300 years, and you just want to say, <clears throat> man, what would it take for us to get back to that? So everything needs to be brought back against 
the ethic of Christ, everything we just studied in Colossians, our materialism, you know, our 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 commitment to capitalism over compassion, our our questions of race, our questions of gender, our questions of all these things have to be brought back to this. And so that's what makes this such a fabulous book. And this is why the church runs back to it in times where they're, they're losing themselves, particularly when they're losing themselves in cultural, you know, syncretism where, where, you know, they're, they're seeing syncretism is when Christianity mixes with something, it syncs with something. And usually we tend to think of it, you know, it syncs with materialism or power but right now we're in a world where Christianity also is syncing with liberal ideas and thinking with so, syncing with socialism mm-hmm. and syncing with communism. That also needs to be rejected. So what does it look like to just come back to say, okay, we're Christians, we're in this world and of this world. You know, our response is always love, is always forgiveness, is, is a, you know, if there's a path where violence seems to be the answer, we don't want that path. We walk a different path. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. I mean, it's the Sermon on the Mount that these things have this radical domina- domination on us, right? I mean, we make the first the last and the last the first. This is Jesus 101. And there's this desperate need to constantly be reevaluating our ideals, our ideas, what we call our values, you know, because um, um, we all have values. Everybody has values. You value something. Okay, that we need to have a deeper conversation about virtues. Virtues are things that are good and beautiful outside of ourselves we aspire to. Values are the things that say, no, I, I aspire to this. I, I consider this valuable. If we valued the virtues, then it would be a very different. Virtues are things like honesty and honor and truth and love and compassion and those kinds of things. Those are outside of ourselves. Values are things I attribute, you know, because I can value power. I can value wealth. I can value, you know, status. Um, those, those are the things we tend to say, well, I have values. Yeah, you sure do. We all do. Anyway, so. No, that's super good. I, I think there's one other aspect to this conversation about, particularly with slavery, but we can talk about with other things. Why did it take so long for some of these truths to, to permeate culture enough to get to the point where we actually say, oh, no, now slavery has gone. Um, and I think the other aspect outside there's of, more slavery today, by the way, than any other time in history. Right. Again, we, uh, we put too much attention on the transatlantic slave um, everything. But um, I think the other aspect that's helpful outside of looking at the human history is kind of the thing that's behind that, which would be God's timing is not our timing. And he has got this perfect understanding of where humanity has been throughout history. So we see the same issue that we see with the apostle Paul and like, why didn't he just abolish it? Well, you can say the same thing going back to Moses and looking at the laws and say, well, maybe at that point in history, maybe we should have been more you know, maybe we could have been more explicit about what needed to be done. But I think when we look at the, the scope of history throughout Scripture and then beyond that, you can see that humanity had to be taken along a journey to, to open themselves up and to have their worldview changed and to have their perspective changed, to have their hearts changed in a, in a process that took a long time, even the process of salvation. Well, it was still, something that was promised yeah. right after the fall, but it took, you know, well, thousands of years. And the other thing we need to understand, two, two or three things about what you said. One, one is that we tend to think of this as a linear cumulative thing. It's not. I mean, there, there are times of cycling back to horrible, you know, you, you can talk about, you know, what was serfdom in the Middle Ages. I mean, that was just another form of slavery. I mean, you were tied to the land. You couldn't do a different trade. You, you had a master or lord of the, who, who 
controlled you basically. And if you said you're going to war this week, well, we're going to war this week. I mean, those kinds of things. And so, um, and and the, the issue is this is humanity and Christianity is fighting against that. And we have these wonderful flashes forward, these wonderful flashes. And just to say it, and this is something that people just cannot get their minds around. And it's actually stunning just based on the, the overwhelming evidence things are actually getting much, 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 much better. I mean, it, again, 200 years ago, I mean, you didn't have indoor plumbing. You didn't have air conditioning. I mean, in the last 15 to 20 years, the number of people who have come out of abject poverty because more countries are creating jobs, they're creating rule of law, they're, that justice is, because of the technology, some of the good things about the internet, people are seeing that, Man, there, there are ideas that are permeating um, the, the overall standard of well-being for humanity is actually increasing. And, and I, I just want to argue that that all comes from the Christian ideals that have come through Western culture. And again, there are examples where it breaks down and there's corporate greed, and there's oppression, and there's colonialism and all those other kinds of things like that. But we're all trying to come back to, um, to, to the original song of the original founder. I mean, the, the, and the funny thing about it is, this is another just rabbit to chase. Before I chase, let me, let me just say this about the Old Testament. If you do a close study of the Old Testament study on slavery compared to the slavery of other nations around, it is incredibly moderate. It is incredibly gracious. Basically, slaves were brought into the Jewish family, could be set free. We could talk about the, the year of Jubilee. Um, slavery was allowed in the Old Testament law, but it was deeply moderated, and, and slaves were, were people. So anyway, another, another comment, but, but, but this is what I wanted to say about, about this idea of the ideals that are driving our world, that the best ideals that are driving our world come back to Christ. They, they, they were founded with Christ. They were given to us by Christ. Um, and, and this is the funny thing. This was kind of my Christmas message is that when I talked about the world before Christmas, what was the world before Christmas? Well, it was Rome. It was oppression. It was, it was horrible. Christ steps into the world and he starts changing all of that. And, and the funny thing is, is that most often the people who are arguing against Christianity um, argue on moral grounds that are grounded in Christianity. I think we've talked about this before. This idea that, okay, um, I'm against Christianity because there are Christians who advocated for slavery, and that's wrong. Okay, um, there were Christians who advocated for slavery. That was wrong. But let me just ask you, where did you get that idea that slavery was wrong? Well, it's just wrong. Well, okay, yeah. Why? Well, it's wrong. Well, maybe it's not. I mean, if if a pure evolution is right, if if you know something like eugenics is right, then then maybe slavery is right. I mean, you go back to the earliest Greek philosophers, then you you go back to Aristotle and Plato. They were strong believers in slavery. They believed this is part of the natural order. Their belief about creation was that people were created to be slaves. In fact, really interesting part of Tom Holland's book was where he talked about the conquest of Central America, which was horrible. It was just horrible. Um, he's, there, there were letters written by the, uh, by the Francis, Franciscan monks basically arguing the morality of going in and enslaving the people who were in Mexico and, and, we have no idea the genesis that genocide that took place, not because they went and they killed them, but the disease that came through. Mm. But, the, but here's the interesting thing is the justification they did is they did not quote the Bible at all. 
They did not quote um, any of the church fathers, which is what they did on any time they argued anything. They, er, they quoted the early church fathers. They quoted Aristotle and Plato. So their justification for the oppression was Aristotle, Aristotle and Plato. And so, so I mean, so, so this is my point. So the people who will attack Christianity based on, on the morality of Christianity don't realize that they are arguing based on morality they got from Christianity. This is what I mean when I say they're blowing a hole in the boat, they're, sing, they're floating in. And so um, the question then becomes is, okay, if you're, gonna, if you're going to attack the morality and the hypocrisy of Christianity that's not saying what it should do based on the morality that you got from Christianity, where then are you going to get your morality? I mean, where are you going to get the justification? Because again, if there, if you don't have Christianity, if you don't have the view of God that we have, the view of humanity we have, the view of creation we have, where do you get your ideas? Then you start getting into people like Nietzsche, you start getting into people like Dearday, you start getting into Foucault, who are the, the, um, postmodern philosophers who basically says that that's all hoo-ha. And basically what they come back to is, um, you know, the, the idea that it's all meaningless anyway, but you should be the best version of yourself, the, the, the Uber man. And then this is what a lot of that philosophy was picked up by the, the, the Nazis. This is just my point that the, these ideas have consequences. And if we're going to, again, <laughs> reject Christianity because of the morality of Christianity, and then the other people who want to embrace the morality of Christianity, but they don't want to embrace Christ. You ultimately are at a point of nonsense. You're at a point of you got some explaining to do. You got you got some 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 connecting the dots. You've got to do, um, you know that that you know it ultimately becomes circular. You know. Um, Slavery is wrong. Why? Well, why? Well, it's self-evident. Where did you get the idea? Uh, I, I, I don't know. It just, it just, it's just wrong. You know, well, okay. You have to have something more epistemologically robust than that. And, and my answer to that is that, well, I believe slavery is wrong because I believe there is a transcendent God who defines all that as good and beautiful. And he created things with order. And part of the order is that he made every person matter. And so that's transcendent, that's above me, that's a virtue outside of myself. And because of that, then I believe slavery is wrong. And then I see the example of the person of Christ who became a slave for me, who emptied himself and became nothing that I might have life. And then, then so, so, you know, um, that's, what make, that's what makes sense. And again, to reject all that because there are people who have been inconsistent and downright hypocritical to that um, is ultimately circular, is ultimately a circular form of reasoning. So we're in the weeds pretty good on that. Let me just end. Can we just end with this? Sure. With this wonderful, wonderful passage from Philemon. <clears throat> so again, remember everything that's going on. Um, you know, um, Paul has said to the church in Colossae, and um, uh, with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. That's what he said to the Colossians. So Paul has not only sent this letter to Philemon, this letter has been read to the whole church. So Philemon is now going to get his letter, knowing that everybody knows what's going on. It's it's really a calculated thing that Paul is doing here. It's beautiful. Oh, man, it's just beautiful. Um, um, he says, so I'm sending you on this, Miss Faithful and Beloved Brother, who is one of you, 
they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So now Paul has sent Onesimus as one of his brothers, one of his friends. And so then he sends a letter to Philemon, and this is what he said. Um, he said many things, but this is just the part we'll read. <coughs> Actually, it's a really short letter. Although, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So there's something that's required here. That if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, it's pretty obvious what needs to happen here. <laughs> he says, and it's not because so. I'm it's not because I'm afraid of you. It's not because I don't have the authority to do it. Okay, but listen to what he says. Yet for love's sake, Christians always run back to love. I prefer to appeal to you. Okay. He says, I wanna I wanna talk to your heart. He says, I, Paul, <laughs> an old man now, a prisoner also for Christ. Okay, so I've got some street cred here. Okay, I, I'm, I put my money, I'm, I'm a prisoner, I'm a slave for Christ. Okay, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. By the way, Onesimus is a word, is a slave name. It basically means useful. So this child was born a slave. Call him useful, so he always knows he's supposed to be useful. He says, so Paul plays on the on the name. Formerly, he was useless to you, opposite of his name, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf <laughs> during my imprisonment for the gospel. I just, I just, I, I just, there's a part of me just wants finally me to look at this and just smile, say, oh man. I am painted into a corner here. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. So there's respect. There's there's understanding of the dynamic and the spots you're in, in order that your goodness might not be comp- compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So, so you see the theology dripping down into this remarkably practical application for Philemon. I, again, so again, what has happened? Philemon got the letter, he heard Colossians, and then at the end of Colossians, he says, oh, he sent Onesimus? And you can just kind of see him kind of go cold, and then Onesimus is there, and here's the letter from Paul. And so he's reading this letter, and 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 we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. We do know that the church of La- um, um, Laodicea, um, um, not Laodicea, is it Laodicea? So you said, yes, Laodicea, thrived for hundreds of years. And that there are other bishops, we have letters from the church of Laodicea um, in the second, uh, first and second century. Just, just, this became a wonderful, and you just, Every part of me wants to just believe that this found a beautiful reconciliation. This found a beautiful ending. Um, there's a tradition, a Christian a tradition, that Onesimus became the bishop or the leader of the church mm-hmm. in Laodicea. Um, it's not a strong tradition, but it's a tradition. Um, so we don't have a lot of secondary evidence for that. So, so it, and it's a late kind of reference. Anyway, but don't you just want that to be? Mm-hmm. And 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 don't you want the gospel to mess with you like that? about how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we think about everything from environment to, you know, who we support and what we endorse and what we call good and all that kind of stuff. That that just, it just, when you couple Philemon with 
Colossians and they're, they're hopelessly married, then you see, okay, Paul, this is what, and, and you wonder if he didn't write Colossians for Philemon, you know, mm-hmm. um, at, at least that's part of his motivation that he says, you've got the theological foundation. You're, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, this is what it means to be in Christ. So yeah, it's gotta be a challenge for us, how we live every day. Are we coming back to the original song of the Lamb? So that's all I got. That's good. <laughs> I'm sipping coffee now. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, we said it was going to be a, a wrap up, and I think that that does a nice job of it. Yeah, I think it does a nice job of saying, "Why did we spend time in this book?" Yes, you know, and and that reminds me of going back to the summer when you were talking about, you know, why why Wait. Colossians and and finding a place to stand. Yes, um, and I think it's just been a really good recentering, refocusing uh, uh, time and season for us as a church. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it, it helps us see, boy, this is why I follow Christ. Well, you know, it, it, there's this wonderful, in John chapter 6, where it says Jesus got doing this, done doing this very difficult teaching, and it says, and many of his disciples abandoned him. And then he turns to the disciples and said, are you two going to go? And they said, basically, we don't have any place else to go. We're with you. You have the words of life. We don't have any place else to go. And, and I, I think of a world without a Christian ethic, without the ethic of Christ, without the example of Christ, without the influence of Christ in this world, and that terrifies me. I mean, I just, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to, I, I, I mean, it becomes about power and oppression and about, I mean, the futility of that. And so um, I don't have any place else to go. I mean, when you talk about a place to stand, it's not like this is an option. This is the option. This is what we got. And so Colossians gives us that. So, yeah. Great. We are going to lighten it up in the next series. <laughs> We're doing seven weeks on Lamentations. <laughs> um, yes, we are. One of the happiest it, book in the Bible. It is. Uh, and I, 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 you know what has surprised me about studying uh, Lamentations? Um, several things. One is the realness, the rawness of it, that the, the scope of Lamentation in the Bible that we hardly ever talk about um, but the thing that surprised me is joy. Um, not happiness, not say, how can you have joy with lamentation? Well, because I, I found in lamentation in my study of lamentation, my beginning practice, the discipline of lamentation, um, um, a path to God and, and joy is not a happiness. It is a sense of well-being um, that can't be shaken. So it's going to be, it's going to be very good. I was just mm-hmm. doing some study on it yesterday and came to the most obvious connection between last series and this series, and that is um, 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 uh, the spirituals that were written by uh, the descend uh, the slaves and the descendants of slaves, the spirituals. You know, um, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's a lament. I mean, and if you read the, the lyrics and listen to the the spirituals uh, of that. Um, it's stunning. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that great German pastor and theologian, brilliant, who died way too young because he was killed during the Nazis for opposing the Nazis. Um, big part of his story is when he came to New York. He was so bored going to the the the, the Lutheran, basically the, the theological churches. He started going to the African American churches in Harlem, mm-hmm. and he writes extensively about the passion and the love and. He would bring the records of the spirituals back and play them for his students mm. back in Germany. Um, he was deeply, deeply impacted by 
that, and it actually awoken in him a heart for the oppressed. And that's one of the things Lamentations is going to do. So That's awesome. Yeah. So there's so much there. My head's so full, sure. It's going to be. <sighs> Seven weeks isn't enough. I'm going to have to talk so fast. That sounds dangerous. It does. I'm going to hurt you myself. You and everyone else. Everyone, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, now that we're wrapping this up, and you know, Colossians was something that was just really placed on your heart. Do you want to close us in prayer? Mm-hmm. Father, you are good. Um, and that's the foundation of all this, that there is a transcendent God who doesn't choose what is good and beautiful. He is. You are what is good and beautiful. And we worship you as the good and beautiful transcendent God whose natural response is to extend his beauty and his goodness through creation. And you've created a good world um, with order, with beauty, just around every corner. We do acknowledge that part of that is a ability to choose and we have chosen poorly and we have brought sin and selfishness into this world um, but that doesn't change the fact that you love us we thank you that even though that is part of every human story inside of every human story there is an original glory there's a capacity for good and beauty and dignity and love that's because we're made in your image and every person matters the ultimate example of that of course is your son jesus For all this, we give you honor and praise. Let these things not just be ideas. Let them be um, foundations we stand on, pillars that hold up what we believe. Let them be um, signposts that guide how we think and how we live and how we treat each other. Father, we pray against injustice. We pray against oppression, the stuff that's in our own heart, that's close to us, and the stuff around the world. Um, We pray your kingdom come. We pray, Father, that... um, that, that you would just make us people who um, who just are constantly running back and relearning the song of the Lamb. We love you. We lift these things up in your Son's name, in Christ. Amen. <laughs>